Hey folks, Andy Patton here. The NBA Draft Combine went down last week. How our Zags did and what it means for their chances of returning to campus or joining the NBA. We discuss all of that and a ton of other fun topics today for Mailbag Monday right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Some of you have been with me from the very, very beginning years and years ago when the podcast was called Score Zag Score. Some of you are much, much newer to the podcast regardless. I appreciate each and every one of you who have tuned into the show. I also appreciate those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube, one of the fastest growing YouTube channels on the Locked On Podcast Network. If you have not done so yet and you are interested in checking it out there, it's very simple. Just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags. You can hit that big orange subscribe button and I will appreciate you even more. Today is Mailbag Monday. This is a reminder for those of you who are are new to the show, who want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, very simple to do so. You can reach out to me on Twitter at ScoreZagsScore or at LockedOnZags. Whenever you are thinking of a question, shoot it to me there. I will get it into the show. I also tweet on Sunday mornings soliciting questions for the show. If you respond to that tweet, I will get that question into the show. And, of course, you can email me at andypatton013 at gmail.com. You can email me questions for Mailbag Monday. You can email me email me comments, feedback, questions that aren't Mailbag Monday related. You can also send me fan stories. We've been doing a segment on Friday, the third segment on Friday episodes, Fan Story Friday, where people submit stories about meeting other Zags, whether it's players, coaches, whatever. Uh, if you have a story you would like to submit for Fan Story Friday, you can email that to me as well. All right, that is enough preamble. Let us get into all of the great questions you asked this week. This first question comes from Rocky at the Rock Pile Show, who says, After the Combine, who do you think is coming back? It will start to shape out the roster for next season. Rocky, not alone in asking this question. John via Gmail had a similar question. He said, What are you hearing regarding how Timmy and Strother are looking at the Combine? Are you still in the same place for Timmy Bolton Strother in terms of coming back to Gonzaga we're starting their next chapter. Yeah, folks, the NBA Draft Combine happened last week. Three, excuse me, four Zags were invited to the Combine. That is, of course, Chet Holmgren, Drew Timmy, Julian Strother, and Andrew Nembhard. No Rasir Bolton at the NBA Draft Combine. All those guys participated to various levels. Chet Holmgren did very little. The other guys did a little bit more as they have a little bit more to prove uh, going into the draft. I will go through each of them individually. Uh, because Bolton did not participate, my feelings about Rasir Bolton returning to campus are the same as they were before. I still think it's more likely that he pursues professional opportunities and does not return to Gonzaga. But I also think it's possible he returns. At this point in the offseason, Gonzaga has not added to their backcourt. There is very clearly an open 
open spot for Rasir Bolton to come in. He would be he would have a similar role to what he did last year. I think the Zags would potentially start three guards if Bolton were to return and Julian Strother were not to return. Uh, if Strother and Bolton both returned, that would give them a little bit more of a logjam in the backcourt. I'm not exactly sure how Coach Few would make that all work, but there's little doubt that Bolton would have a very guaranteed role on this team should he return. Uh, I have not heard anything one way or another, but I still think it's more likely that he moves on. Uh, Drew, Drew Timmy looked great. Uh, he looked great in scrimmages. He looked really, really good uh, as a as an outside shooter. Obviously, his low post scoring was phenomenal. We're not surprised by that at all. He had an awesome move where he caught a pass, drove baseline, got David Roddy from Colorado State moving towards the perimeter, stopped very suddenly, spun to his left, and got himself an easy lay and absolutely bewildered Roddy. Roddy's not exactly an NBA caliber defensive player necessarily, but still great to see Drew with that kind of stuff in his bag. Uh, he he looked really good shooting the rock from beyond the arc. He didn't. He did okay in the drills. He did a little bit better in the actual scrimmages, which I think is is more productive, more helpful to see him knock down threes when there are defenders in his face. Uh, I think it's a little bit less likely he returns. Some of his measurements and testing were not so good. Uh, the body fat percentage was was pretty high, and that was something that got discussed a lot. I don't think that that matters nearly as much as people think that it does, but it was a detriment. His his lane agility, his jumping, none of that stuff stood out. None of that was stuff that we really expected to stand out all that much, but you still would have liked to see that stuff look a little bit better than it did. I still think it's, uh, I still think it's likely he returns, or possible that he returns. Uh, I think it's a little less likely than it was before. I think the the what the the good production during the the actual scrimmages has made that a little bit less likely. Uh, since percentages are often the way that I convey this on this podcast, I'll stick with that. I think it's 65% that Drew Timmy is out the door and heading to the NBA, 35% coming back. That could change. That might change tomorrow. If you were to ask me again, that might change as he goes through more workouts. Uh, certainly, we're you know only a little bit more than a week out before he has to make a decision, so we will find out fairly soon. Uh, Julian Strother looked good. He tested well in some areas. He tested not so well in a couple of other areas. Uh, there's a lot of conversation about the Combine on Friday's episode if you have not checked that out. I highly advise giving it a listen. It goes a little bit more granular into some of these Combine results. I also think Strother is maybe a little bit more likely to leave than he was before the Combine started, but I think some people have really moved to the point where they're almost positive that Julian Strother is going to leave because of how he did it at the Combine. I am not nearly there with Julian. I think he did some good things. I think he did some stuff to help his stock. I think there's more teams who are definitely considering him as a second round pick than there were before the combine, but that does not necessarily mean that he is going to leave. I think there are still a lot of teams who are like, hey, if you go back to Gonzaga and you take on a bigger share in the front court, or, you know, you score more points, you have more shot opportunities, you do some improving on, on the defensive end of the floor where he's already good but can stand to improve, then you're going to be a first round pick next year. I think there's probably a fair amount of teams that, that really believe that. And there are probably some people in his ear telling him that. And whether he makes the decision to to take that gamble, come back to school, or go now where he thinks he's likely to be a second-round pick, up in the air. I'm about 60%. Julian's coming back, about 40% that he is leaving. Uh, that's where I feel I'm at right now. But again, those numbers will change as well. Uh, neither Andrew Nembhard or Chet Holmgren are coming back, so no need to discuss them. I do want to give Nembhard a shout-out for a spectacular 
spectacular, spectacular performance in the scrimmage on Friday. He was the best player on the basketball court in that game. The odds of him getting drafted in the second round ballooned. They went up a ton. He looked awesome in the pick and roll. He looked good on defense. His outside shooting was a little inconsistent, but it, he he knocked down some threes with defenders right in his face. He took guys off the dribble. He looked fantastic in this game, and I think his odds of getting drafted improved significantly. Next question, another one from John via Gmail. John says, I think that June 1st is the last day for Timmy Bolton and Strother to decide what they will be doing for next year. Do you think it will literally go up until the last moment for us to find out what these players will be doing? Do you think on May 23rd, the coaching staff has a pretty good idea of what each are doing, or are they flying blind? This The coaching staff is not flying blind. <laughs> I will tell you that. That does not mean that they know for sure what any of these guys are doing, because I don't think any of those guys know for sure what they are doing. But I think that they're in pretty constant communication with these players, uh, with other people, you know, with the represent representatives for these players, whomever they, they need to be talking to to get good intel on what these guys are going to do. They're talking to them. They're aware of this situation. Again, that doesn't mean that they're not going to have the rug pulled out from under them. That doesn't mean that they're not going to start to be like, well, we're pretty sure Drew's coming back and then he changes his mind. That could happen. That potentially will happen with somebody. It's just the way that this process works. But I have a feeling the staff feels pretty good about where they're at with those guys and what they think is going to happen with them. But again, I, I for those who were following the recruitment of Efton Reed, this thing looked like it was in the bag. And then three days later, a very late push by Louisville almost, almost put it put it to rest where Efton Reed didn't end up coming to Gonzaga. So these things can change at the drop of a hat. So we will see what happens here. But I would be pretty surprised if this staff doesn't have a good sense of what's going on at this time here on May 23rd or whenever you are listening to this. Uh, as for when we're going to find out, there is absolutely no reason for either Drew Timmy or Julian Strother to not wait until the last possible minute to make their decision. Take every single opportunity that you have to talk to scouts, to talk to general managers, to talk to coaches, whomever it may be, to talk to your representatives and get the absolute maximum amount of information that you can get before making your decision. There's no reason to make that decision early unless you are absolutely convinced one way or another. You know, Ron Harper Jr. decides, I'm done. I'm going to the NBA. It's happening. Great. If, if, if Drew or Julian feels like that, cool. Make it official. You know, let the staff move on without you. That's totally fine. But if you're not sure, even if you're 85, 90% sure, there's no reason to rush that decision because it is final. Once you fill out that paperwork, it is final. So I think that this is probably going to span the rest of the week and, and into Memorial Day weekend before we really start to get a sense of what's going to happen with these guys. Final question of the segment. This comes from Dad Risk on Twitter. He says, if Strother and Timmy both stay in the draft, what the heck is Gonzaga going to do? They're going to need to add a few more guys just to fill out a team. Uh, it's a bit of an exaggeration. Obviously, they're, uh, for starters, uh, the transfer portal has over a thousand players still in the portal. Uh, most of them were in the portal before or a lot of them will potentially have the ability to transfer and be eligible right away. That is kind of part of the challenge of the new way that this is working is that some players will have to apply for waivers. Some players will not have to apply for waivers. That's all going to have to get sorted out, but I trust the staff and the compliance office and everybody to get that figured out. But in the absolute worst case scenario, Drew Timmy leaves, Julian Strother leaves, Rasir Bolton does not come back, and Caden Perry is injured and unable to play next year. If all of that happens and the Zags do not add via the transfer portal, then yeah, their roster is going to be a pretty pretty thin next year. That would look like your front court would be Efton Reed, Anton Watson, Ben Gregg, and Braden Huff. 
Your backcourt would be Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, Dominic Harris, and I guess Martinez Arlauskas would kind of be your, your eighth man there. Is that a great depth depth top to bottom? No. Is it better than Gonzaga's been for the most of the last 20 years? Eh, honestly, probably. I mean, that, that's kind of the crazy thing. Efton Reed, five-star guy, started at LSU last year. Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, both five-star guys. Dominic Harris, a top 60 recruit in his class. Braden Huff, a four-star guy, Mr. Chicago, or excuse me, Mr. Illinois. Ben Gregg, top 30 guy in his class. Like, this is still a pretty darn good group of basketball players here, and the Zags are not going to go into next season with this as their rotation. If this is the situation they find themselves in, again, no Jew, no Timmy, no Bolton, they're going to add transfers. They're going to find a grad transfer if they need to in order to get them eligible right away. They're going to find somebody out there, or maybe somebody's, potentially multiple players, to fill out the roster. I would be shocked if they went into the roster without adding more to the team. And again, I also don't think that the Zags are going to lose all three of Timmy, Bolton, and Strother. I don't know exactly which combination of those guys is going to come back. And I don't think it's, I think it's possible that all three of those guys are gone. But I think if that is the case, the staff will find ways to get other very talented players onto this team heading into next season. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. we got more questions to answer. We're going to project a starting lineup for next year, and we're going to talk about some of those players in the transfer portal that the Zags are already connected to. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Built Bar. Summer is coming, and with the summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you on family vacations. Throw them in your bags, in your kids' backpacks. Make sure everyone has a bar so you are fueled for your summer adventures. The best part about Built Bars, they're healthy and delicious. No more sacrificing delicious food for health. With Built Bar, you can have both. Have you tried the Built Puffs yet? We are going crazy for the puffs. They come in crazy flavors like banana cream pie and even churro. Who doesn't want a protein bar that tastes like a churro? And they're only 140 calories. If that's not enough flavor for you, then you might want to try the Mixed Box. The Mixed Box comes with 12 flavors of bars and puffs. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Go to Built.com to get all of your favorites. Banana cream pie, raspberry, double chocolate, and so many more. They are all delicious and new flavors are coming out all the time. Go to Built.com now and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, segment two. Still Andy Patton, still Locked on Zags. I want to give another thank you to all of you who've continued to make Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out the Locked on Sports Today podcast. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, getting right back into it, this next question, another one from Dad Risk, ended segment one, starting segment two with the question. He says, true or false, the starting lineup next season is going to be Hickman, Salas, Harris, Anton, and Timmy. Seems like the odds of Strother staying in the draft have increased. So I'm going to say false to this starting lineup. I think even if this were the situation the Zags were in, which this situation obviously is no Julian Strother, no Rasir Bolden, and yes to Drew Timmy. If that were the results that the Zags were living with, I don't think this would be the starting lineup. For starters, I think the Zags would probably add a transfer who would play more of a three role. I think the Zags are going to try to replace Julian Strother with more of a traditional wing if they can. 
six foot five to six foot eight wings are not just laying around available on the transfer portal. Certainly not ones who are capable of starting for a team that has championship aspirations next year. But the Zags are going to go out and aggressively try to find somebody. They probably are already looking for that player to potentially replace Strother if he were to leave. Beyond that, I don't think that a front court would be Anton Watson and Drew Timmy with Efton Reed coming off the bench. I think Efton Reed would start at the five. I think Drew Timmy would start at the four. And Anton Watson would, similar to last year, would reprise his role as the key player coming off the bench. Efton Reed is not Chet Holmgren. He does not play the same style as Chet Holmgren, but he's capable of playing away from the rim. And I think him and Drew Timmy would play very well together. So I don't think the Zags brought Efton Reed in to be a backup to Anton Watson. I think Efton Reed is here and he's starting. If Drew Timmy's gone, he's starting. If Drew Timmy comes back, he's still starting. I really believe that that is the situation that they're in. So I think if this situation presented itself, the starting lineup would be Nolan Hickman, Hunter Salas, a transfer Drew Timmy and Efton Reed. If they do not get a transfer, then yes, I do think Dominic Harris would potentially step into that starting lineup and they would just roll with a three-guard lineup. Next question comes from John via Gmail. John says, now that Kevin McCuller is going to Kansas, what are you hearing on Tyrese Hunter now that his Kansas visit has ended? Yeah, the Zags were connected to two big transfers. Both transfers were kind of locked in to be either Gonzaga or Kansas was kind of what we had been hearing with both Kevin McCollar and Tyrese Hunter. McCollar was also in the NBA draft process. He has then withdrawn from the NBA draft and committed to Kansas. Joining Bill Self made a lot of Texas Tech fans very unhappy uh, that he was staying in that conference and going over to Kansas. I don't blame those fans for being frustrated with that. But now that McCuller is out of the picture, we know that Tyrese Hunter visited Spokane. I believe it was a not this past weekend, but the weekend before that, I believe. Either way, he's been in camp on campus very recently. There's a couple other schools that are in the mix for Tyrese Hunter. It, it kind of looked for a while like it was just Gonzaga and Kansas, and now that Kansas added McCullough, I understand that it's like, well, is Hunter coming to Gonzaga? There's some other schools that are in the mix there. I, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's coming to Gonzaga. I don't have a ton of information about how his visit went. Unfortunately, if slash when I acquire any information on that, I will be happy to report it here. Uh, but for right now, I don't know how that visit went. I do know that Kansas is certainly less likely to be a destination for Hunter because McCullough plays a is a player who can play a traditional point guard role the way that Hunter did at Iowa State. So I don't think he's as much of a fit there. Um, so it's kind of hard to say. I, I think the Zags would like to get Tyrese Hunter in. He's not a, a, as much of a fit on the roster as McCullough was necessarily, but Tyrese Hunter and Nolan Hickman could be a two-point guard lineup. The Zags have made the national championship game twice, and both times that they did so, it was because they had two-point guard starting lineups. Of course, Josh Perkins and Nigel Williams-Goss in 2017, and Jalen Suggs and Andrew Nembhard in 2021. So a Hickman-Hunter backcourt could absolutely work. You could start Salas at the three, and you would have a very, very athletic, very talented offensive and defensive starting lineup for the guards there. So I think it could definitely work. I think it's more likely that he's coming to Gonzaga now that McCullough is at Kansas, but I have not heard anything that makes me feel incredibly confident that this is necessarily going to happen. Next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter who says, which Zag not named Chet Holmgren in this draft class will have the best NBA career and the best international career? So if we're counting this draft class as guys who are currently in the draft, that of course includes Julian Strother, then I'm going to go with Julian Strother. It's Julian Strother, Drew Timmy, or 
Andrew Nemhart or Rasir Bolton. If those are the options, Julian Strother, for, for my money, pretty clearly is going to have the best NBA career out of this group. I don't know necessarily that it is going to start next season. That has obviously been part of the topic of today's episode so far. But Strother is six foot seven. He's got decent length. He's a good outside shooter and a promising defensive player. Three and D wings are always, always in vogue in the NBA. This is always a desirable position to be. Strother's not a great playmaker. He's not a facilitator or ball handler. Some of the stuff that, that teams are really starting to covet a lot as well, but he's a he's a bona fide role player right away. Julian Strother could be a catch-and-shoot catch three-point shooter and decent defensive player in the NBA starting this year. And in a couple more years, he's going to carve out a legit role in the NBA. That is ju- that's just more than I think either Drew Timmy or Andrew Nembhard are going to do. Now, I think Andrew Nembhard's going to be an NBA player. I think what he did at the NBA Combine on Friday is enough to be a backup point guard or maybe a third-string point guard in the NBA. I think he's going to have that role. I think that's about the max that his role is going to be. There are some athletic limitations there. There are some potential size limitations and his outside shooting is not not consistent enough to be like a knockdown three-point shooting point guard necessarily. But I think he's going to be an NBA player enough that I don't think that he's going to be the kind of guy who has a huge European career. He might have to play there periodically. He might start there. I don't know. But I don't think he's going to be a long, lucrative NBA or European career type guy. Drew Timmy, I kind of am on the same fence with him too. I think he could go over to Europe and just absolutely dominate because of his his skill set. His It would translate really well to the European game. I think he would absolutely dominate over there, but I think he's good enough to be a, a two-way guy, maybe a guy who, who's last at the back end of a bench like Luca Garza has done with Detroit. Uh, so I think the best international career is probably going to be Roz Bolton because I don't think Bolton's an NBA player. And, but I think he's a, he's a score first, good outside shooting, potentially good facilitating guard. And those kind of dudes dominate in Europe. He could go over to Europe and have a very, very good European career. So I'm going to go with Bolton as the best international player, Julian Strother as the best NBA prospect. But these things could obviously change and will change depending on whether guys come back to school or not. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back. In the final segment of the episode, and we're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Rock Auto. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning, like is your Odyssey an LX or an EX, and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Plus, Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. I just had my 13-year-old car serviced recently, and I can tell you having one place to find all the parts that I need made things infinitely easier. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. All right, segment three. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still rolling through on Mailbag Monday. This next question comes from Christian via Gmail. 
Christian says, the idea of having an indelible line where a college basketball player cannot return to school, an antiquated idea in need of updating or changing. Baseball and football deal with eligibility differently. Should college basketball be more open to player flexibility? In other words, should a player be able to return to college if they go undrafted, etc.? Though NIL is still in the fledgling stages of development, it seems to be pro-player freedom. What could be changed about the rules regarding college basketball players declaring for the draft? So this is a really tricky situation and one that I don't feel exceptionally confident that I have all the answers to. Not that I think there's any one person who could or should have all of the answers to this situation. Christian is correct that baseball and football deal with eligibility differently. I don't know that either of the ways that they deal with it are necessarily correct or the best way to do so either. So I don't know that that is a great example. Football deals with it where you have to declare, and once you declare, you're gone. Baseball is much, much different. You cannot declare until you're a junior or a draft-eligible sophomore. You have to have been in college for three years. That is the same with the NFL as well. The NBA is almost never, ever going to do that. If anything, uh, the, the NBA or college basketball, I should say, is going to move to eliminating the rule where you have to play. One year outside of high school, you could go high school back directly to the NBA that's more likely to happen than, than instituting a rule that players cannot come into the NBA until they've been out of high school for three years. That's, that's never going to happen for basketball. I think that having a hard and fast rule about you have to make a decision by this date is antiquated. To answer the first part of the question, I do believe that, but I do not know the best way to actually solve this problem. Having a situation where players could basically return at any time is very messy. This offseason for Gonzaga is a perfect example of why that does not work. The fact that Gonzaga is going to know in less than basically a week from when you are listening to this show, Gonzaga is going to know whether Roz Bolton is returning to Gonzaga, whether Drew Timmy is returning to Gonzaga, whether Julian Strother is returning to Gonzaga. If there was no rule and these players could stay in the draft, potentially get drafted or not get drafted and then return to Gonzaga, the Zags would never know. It would, it would take forever. Like, what if you don't get drafted, but like Joel Ayayi did last year, you get signed right away, you play in Summer League, and then, like, Joel, Joel's a great example because he, he then played in the Summer League, and he played poorly. And he eventually got released by the Lakers and ended up signing with the Wizards and was a two-way contract guy last year. But what if at that point in August... After Joel got cut from the Lakers because he did not play well in the Summer League, what if he wanted to come back to Gonzaga at that point? I don't see how that works because the Zags had already brought in Rasir Bolton. They had already, you know, had their had their they'd already gotten Nolan Hickman to commit to Gonzaga after decommitting from Kentucky. They already had Hunter Salas in the mix, of course. They already had Andrew Nemphard settled in as the starting point guard. What would they have done? With, you know, if Joe Eliai had come back, they can't rescind the, you know, they can't tell Roz, hey, sorry, you can no longer come here. You could try to have scholarships that are contingent upon that, like, hey, we're only going to offer you a scholarship if this player doesn't come back to campus. But that's chaos and not sustainable in, in any way that, and also just not good. Like the, the goal of, of this should be to, to get these players to be in the easiest position for success. Committing to go to a school, but having it be contingent on somebody else's decision is just a really, really messy way to handle business. So if that's not going to work, then you're going to have schools like Gonzaga that would just be, I mean, imagine if the position we're in right now is fans waiting to figure out what is the roster going to look like. Basically, every question in today's mailbag was about that. And last week, most of the questions were like, this is what the fans want to know. And this is what the players and the coaches want to know, too, is 
who's going to be on my team next year? Who's who, who do I, what roles do I still need to fill? And if there was not a hard and fast date that these players had to make that decision, Mark Few would never get an answer to this question. Now, there has to be a way to do it that's better than the way that's currently happening. And I don't know the answer. I don't know exactly how that works. Uh, I don't think that they can have these contingent rules necessarily. I don't think that they can have zero, like no deadline at all. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how it works. The point of college is to help put players or the point of college in general is to put people into the workforce. So saying you have to decide right now whether you're going to come back to college or join, join the workforce is kind of opposite of what it should be, but there are reasons that those rules exist, and, and Gonzaga's offseason is a primary example of that. All right, next question comes from Jacob Quarter 2, who says, which Zags team would you say is the most underrated team that does not get enough respect, and is there a Zags team that you say is overrated? Well, a lot of people think just about every Gonzaga team is overrated. I don't really buy into that. I'm not sure that there is an obvious team that is overrated. Uh, the example that I came up with was my senior year team, one of a lot of people's favorite team, which is that 2012-2013 team. Uh, of course, the first Gonzaga team to ever be ranked number one, uh, the team with Kelly Olynyk on it. That was an incredibly fun team. Kevin Pangos, Gary Bell backcourt, uh, Leas Harris as a senior, Mike Hart starting at the three. Um they deserve to be ranked the number one team in the country. I adamantly believe that. But it was not a very traditionally number one seeded type team. They didn't play in an overwhelmingly tough non-conference schedule. They did very well during conference slate, but it was they were not an overpowering team. They were not as good as the 16-17 team. They were not as good as the 19-20 team. They were not as good as last year's team. Um, but they ended up, so I, I don't know that they were overrated because I think that they deserve to be number one, but they were not one of the better number one teams uh, in recent memory. In terms of underrated teams, I think there's a handful that could fit into this. The team that I'm going with uh, by Gonzaga fans that I don't think it's talked about very much, the 2003-2004 Gonzaga team. This team was really, really, really good. They got as high as number three in the AP poll. Uh, Non-conference, they beat Missouri, who was at the time number three in the country. They beat Maryland. They beat UW. They beat Washington State. They went on a 21-game winning streak. In the 0304 season, 21 game winning streak. They did not lose in conference play. Uh, like I said, they got as high as number three in the AP poll. They ended up getting a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. But then, and the reason that people don't like to talk about this team, the reason that this team is not often kind of talked about as one of Gonzaga's greatest all time teams, is because in the second round, after defeating, after defeating Valparaiso in the first round, in the second round, the number two seeded Gonzaga Bulldogs in Seattle played number 10 seeded Nevada and got munched, absolutely smashed. I think it was 91 to 73 by the Wolfpack. That is a game that stings a lot. It is a tough one for Gonzaga fans to swallow. It was a really, really rough game. And I think that's why that team doesn't get discussed all that often. But they were they were a top five team in 2004. The Zags were a top five team in the country. They beat a multiple ranked opponents. They beat the number three team in the country. This is a team that does not get discussed among Gonzaga's pantheon of great teams. And it's pretty much exclusively because of how badly they got beat in the second round of that NCAA tournament. A couple more questions. This next one comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, 
Gonzaga's women's basketball team recently announced transfer additions of Brenna Maxwell from Utah and Destiny Burton from Panola College. Do you know much about either of these soon-to-be Lady Zags? In particular, the non-Division I transfer seems a rather curious high-risk, high-reward type pickup. With the level that the Gonzaga women have performed over the past 10 years, I'm a little surprised they would even consider a transfer from non-Division I school. Uh, so we'll start with Maxwell, the transfer from the University of Utah. She is a great shooter. She's a shooter. That's what she should have, 38% at Utah last year. I think as a sophomore, she was like 46% from downtown. She's always been over 88% from the free throw line. This girl can straight up shoot it. And that's what the Zags brought her in to do. Plain and simple. Sierra Walker is graduating. She was the uh, the Lady Zags' best three-point shooter last year. They needed to replace outside shooting production. They needed to stretch the floor. They found this girl, Maxwell, who's from Gig Harbor, Washington, who had a very, very decorated, lucrative career at the University of Utah. Now she's looking for somewhere else to play. Coming back to Spokane, perfect fit here. In terms of Barton, I want to say quickly, any program that starts to believe that they are too good to recruit from certain parts of the women's basketball community, if you believe we're too good to recruit from D3 or from JUCO or from whatever, you're starting to fail. <laughs> like that's my honest, you're on the road to failure. That's my honest belief there is if you at any point believe we're too good to recruit this type, this type of basketball player, this basketball player from this area, you've, you've, you've gotten too big for your britches and it's going to come down and hurt you. I love that Coach Fortier and the staff are willing to go out there and go find somebody from a non-traditional way. Uh, I think it's a great sign. I think that they're, you're looking at more than just talent, numbers, and what level you played at. Those are not the only things that go into recruiting. You're looking for somebody who's willing to come in and fit a role. In this case, Burton is a big girl. She's about six feet tall. She plays the post. She's very physical. She grabbed over six boards per game last year. The Zags wanted to come in and play a similar role. They wanted to be an enforcer. They wanted to be a low post threat. I don't think that they're bringing her in to start and play 30 minutes per game. That's the other thing is not every player that you bring onto your team, you're bringing on in hopes of them being a featured player or like a star player. The Zags have, the, the men's program has been very good at recruiting players via the transfer portal who come in to fill roles immediately. Think Aaron Cook, think Gino Crandall, think even like Byron Wesley and Jordan Matthews. Yes, those guys started, but they came in with roles in mind. I'm guessing that's the similar situation happening here with Coach Fortier and with Destiny Burton here, who she's going to come in, she's going to be a big off the bench, she's going to play tough physical basketball, maybe 10 to 15 minutes per night. If you don't think that that kind of player can come from a level like that, that's that's going to be an issue. Like I think you have to believe that you can get a player like that. And in terms of this being a high risk, high reward, I don't think it's. I think it's kind of medium of both. <laughs> I think it's a medium risk because if it doesn't work, it, it's not taking away a spot from somebody else necessarily. So it's not. It doesn't strike me as being a super high risk move uh, and high reward. This girl's probably not going to come in and be an all WCC performer, uh, but she could be a very solid backup role player. In which case, the reward would be pretty great. It's not a super high reward. It's just a, a good reward. So I think this is a good move for them. I, you know, I'm not going to pretend I've watched a whole bunch of Panola College women's basketball, so I don't know a lot of what her game is like, but uh, I, I trust this staff to find girls who can fit the roles that they need them to fit, who are going to be good teammates, good good stewards of the program. And I'm guessing Coach Fortier's pretty rarely gotten those wrong in her career as the women's basketball coach at Gonzaga. So I'm guessing they got another good one here. 
Final question of the show. Another one from our friend Jacob Quarter 2 on Twitter. Jacob says, I just finished Winning Time and am caught up on Drive to Survive. Both are excellent shows and I highly recommend watching them. With that said, which Zags teams do you think would have made the best or the most wild story in a docu-series like that? So yeah, if, if there was, if I could go back and make a document documentary series about a season in Gonzaga's history, I think I'd have to pick the 05-06 team. Uh, Adam Morrison that year was just absolutely bananas, 28 points per game. The, the scoring race between him and J.J. Redick at Duke was unbelievable. Every single game was a media circus for the Zags. It was something completely unpre- unprecedented at Gonzaga University. I think now because Gonzaga has been in the you know, the lexicon, the national lexicon for nearly a, an entire decade of being a number one ranked team periodically uh, for the last three years, almost always a number one ranked team. I think that is more familiar to Gonzaga now, but it was so foreign to this program even then, even 0506, like that would have just been completely out of the out of the blue, completely unprecedented. So to see what Gonzaga was like dealing with this kind of media scrutiny for the first time in program history, uh, to see what Mark View was like as a coach, like at that time in his career, and then to just follow Adam Morrison around for a year on that team, I think would have been really special and really, really fun. Uh, the 99-2000 team is obviously another great choice here as well. Uh, the, you know, the first team under coach Mark Few, uh, the first team uh, going on that Elite Eight run, like I just think it'd be super, super fun to kind of see how that team would shake out in a document series as well. All right, that is going to do it for me today. More questions, guard. So some of you asked questions about the Gonzaga baseball team. Uh, if you are thinking, hey, I didn't hear my question get answered, that is why. Tuesday's episode, we're talking all things Gonzaga baseball. We're going to answer all of the questions. I don't like to leave questions hanging, so if you asked a question about the Gonzaga baseball program, rest assured it will be answered on Tuesday's show. We also have a very, very fun guest joining the show on Friday to close out the week, so do not miss that right here on the Locked on Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Make sure to go check out the Locked On NBA Big Board. Host Raphael Barlow from NBA Draft Junkies and author of the NBA Big Board newsletter is joined by Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin, giving fans an in-depth look into the NBA draft, mock drafts, player rankings, and of course, big boards. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags!